Welcome to the Outpouring Orlando Sermon Podcast. We exist to help people grow in Christ, share the gospel, and serve the community. Thank you so much for tuning in, and we hope you enjoy today's message. Amen. So, so real quick before I get to my sermon, just, just give you a little uh, context. We have been in a sermon series in the book of 1 Corinthians called Possible. And the reason why it's called Possible, if you've been here for several weeks and you've uh, watched the messages online, you, you've been here, pres- uh, been here physically and, and heard it, just, just, just let me explain to everybody who may not have been here or heard the sermons. We called it Possible because Paul deals with, the Apostle Paul who writes the letter deals with a lot of issues um, dealing with the church at Corinth. And so he's, they have all kinds of issues from, from factions and a disunity, division, uh, sexuality, um, the resurrection, the Lord's table, uh, idolatry. They, he deals with a lot of issues. And oftentimes when we see God's commands in scriptures, and, and especially if it's a, it's a pain point for us or somewhere where we struggle ourselves, the first thing that we think is if God is calling me to this, I, this sounds like it's impossible. But one of the things that Paul, a precedence that Paul sets at the outset of the letter is that we have the spirit of God. And so when God calls us to something, God has already equipped us to live in the way that God has called us to live. And so when we start seeing God's commands, whether it be through our relationship with other people, whether it be our relationship with God or how we serve people or how we get along with each other, the first thought in our mind needs not to be how it's impossible, but because we have God and we use his power, not our own, all things are possible. And and, and so this needs to be our mindset when we encounter God's word and we encounter God's commands, so much so that it starts from going to God's commands, that we see God's demands as actually God as, as delighting in God. We delight to do what God has commanded us to do. And, and so 1 Corinthians is, a, is a, a long book of 16 chapters. And so today we, last week, we got a little, got a little spicy, got a little tight. Um, if you don't know what I'm saying, go back and please, I'm not promoting myself, or promoting the church. Please go back and watch the sermon from, from last week. Um, to, it's called A Better Story Part 1. Today we're doing Part 2. And so it's going to get real tight at times in here, okay? But, 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 but here's the thing that happens when you preach through a book of the Bible, you can't skip the hard parts. Even me as a believer and as a pastor, I can't skip the hard parts. I can't pick out my favorite passage and preach that every week. I got to preach what thus saith the Lord. But I think this is going to be good for us this morning. So we will find ourselves in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 9 through 20. Now you may say, well, pastor, you skipped the first eight verses. Um, here's why I'm going straight to nine, because nine also picks up where five started. Six, one through eight essentially deals with believers suing each other, right? And and so here's the synopsis. Paul doesn't think believers should sue each other in a public court that, that if we have minor grievances or minor issues with each other, we should be able to resolve those things in-house without, without having to sue each other in a court of law, that Christians should be wise enough and mature enough to settle our issues and preserve our witness in the world. In Jesus' name, amen. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 9 through 20. <laughs> Here's what it says. Don't you know that the righteous, that the unrighteous, will not inherit God's kingdom. Do not be deceived. No sexually immoral people, idolaters, adulterers, or males who have sex with males. Your rendition may say homosexuality, which covers both same sex for men and for women. No thieves, greedy people, drunkards, 
verbally abusive people or swindlers will inherit God's kingdom. And here's the most brilliant thing that Paul says, I believe, in the whole letter. And some of you used to be like this. You should highlight the word used to in your Bible. And some of you used to be like this. But, oh my God, thank you, Jesus. You were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of God. Oh my God, that changes everything. That even if you had some of these issues before in your life, God has intervened and done something for you. This is good news. Don't skip past that. But this was some of you. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. And here's what Paul says, everything is permissible for me, but not everything is beneficial. Everything is permissible for me, but I will not be mastered by anything. Food is for the stomach and the stomach is for food and God will do away with both of them. However, the body is not for sexual immorality, but for the Lord. And the Lord for the body. God raised up the Lord and will also raise us up by his power. Don't you know that your bodies are part of Christ's body? So should I take it part of Christ's body and, part, and, and, and make it part of a prostitute? Absolutely not. Don't you know that anyone joined to a prostitute is one body with her? For scripture says the two will become one flesh. But anyone joined to the Lord is one spirit with him. So here's Paul's command, flee, run from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the person who is sexually immoral sins against his own body. Don't you know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God? You are not your own. You are not your own. You don't belong to you for you were bought at a price. So glorify God with your body. Let's pray. God, we thank you, Lord, just for who you are today, God. We thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your grace and for your mercy this morning, God. Um, Father, I pray this morning, God, that you, would, that you would destroy idols. I pray this morning, God, as we just study together and we sit under the word of God as we participate in the word of God this morning. Father, I pray that you would tear down idols and tear down strongholds, Father. I pray today that we would, that things before that we saw as impossible, that, that was beyond us because of our own lives and experiences and story, I pray today that what you called us to becomes possible for us. So, Father, work in our hearts, work in our minds, renew us, do something new in us, God. Let this not just be a regular old Sunday feel-good sermon that we go and leave unchanged, God, but I ask for your power this morning, God, to change our lives from the inside out. Make us new, God. Renew our minds, Father. Heal our bodies. Heal our souls, God. Free us. Deliver us, God. Let us walk in the freedom that you purchased for us. And so, Father, this morning, God, I pray that we would leave change radically this morning, that we would have a whole different mindset, that we'll be completely new today after today's service. And so, Father, we give you glory, we give you honor, and we thank you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. We pray that he would be exalted today. We pray that he would be lifted up today. We, we pray that Jesus would be made famous today, God. And so we thank you. It's in Christ's name we pray. The people of God said amen.
You may be seated in the Lord's presence. From the sermon series Possible, our sermon title this morning is A Better Story, Part 2. A Better Story, Part 2. One day a father was out working in the yard, hard at work, doing, doing some yard work, and as the father was working, his eight-year-old daughter came outside. His eight-year-old daughter came outside and said, Daddy, what is sex? Daddy, wh- Daddy, what is sex? And you can imagine a father of an eight-year-old daughter, the surprise that, that he had to endure, and, and I can imagine the look on his face and what he was feeling inside, and so he had a few seconds to contemplate how he was going to address this question from an eight-year-old. And, and so the father, quick on his feet, just thought to himself, although she's eight years old, if she has the audacity and the smarts to ask me this question, then she deserves a straightforward answer. And so like a good father, he waxes poetic for the next few minutes on the birds and the bees to his eight-year-old daughter. And the more he told the story of the birds and the bees, the more this eight-year-old girl's mouth was hanging wide open. She could not believe what she was hearing from her father. And so he got finished and wrapped up to tell his daughter about the birds and the bees. And then he asked the question as his daughter with her mouth hanging headed back toward the house. He said, honey, why did you ask me this question? And she says, daddy, I asked you this because mom told me to come out and tell you that dinner would be ready in a couple of secs. Imagine his surprise that he's explained something that he didn't have to explain. And with her mouth wide open, I can't imagine what story her father was telling her. I can't imagine the story that he was communicating about sex to his daughter. But, you know, I want to tell you this. We as believers, we also tell a story. We tell a better story about our sexuality with our lives when we steward our sexuality the way that God intended. Our our sexuality is actually a gift from God. Your your sexuality is a gift from God that comes along with an intent and with a purpose. You know, growing growing up back in in the 80s and and, and 90s, uh, when when Fisher-Price or Mattel toy companies, when Fisher-Price or Mattel wanted to advertise toys to children, they would show these commercials and kids would be having fun with these toys or outside or inside playing with a a rock'em sock'em robot or or whatever they were playing with at the time. And, And then the commercial would end in some sort of disappointment because it would say this, batteries sold separately meant that if you bought the toy, then you had to go on your own and buy the batteries that came along with the toy. But when God gives us the gift of our sexuality, it doesn't come with purpose and intent so separately. It actually comes with everything that you need to go along with it. And so God gives us our sexuality with a purpose and intent, and that purpose is for us to point people to God. Our sexuality actually tells the story of God's 
deep love for us, his deep longing love for us that he finally demonstrated to us through the work of his son Jesus who died for us and gave himself to us on the cross. And so here's what you need to understand. If we kind of pan back and take a, a wider view, our body itself is a gift from God. Your, your body is actually a gift from God. And, and here's why I say it's a gift. Think about this. You have the ability to taste, to touch, to see, to hear, to smell. But because you actually have the gift of a body, you can open your eyes and see a beautiful sight. You can look at the mountains. You can go to the beach and look out at God's vast ocean because you have eyes to see and your eyes are attached to your body. You, you actually can hear a song on the radio or hear a song and it does something to your soul or you hear a song that ministers to your heart because a part of your body has ears that you hear with. You also can go in a store and touch a nice shirt and feel some fabrics or you can sit in a new car and you can smell that awesome new car smell. Ooh, nothing like a new car smell. But the only reason you know it's a new car smell because you have a nose that is attached to your what? To your body. With a nose you can smell. You can smell some delicious food because you have a nose. You can also taste some delicious food because you have a mouth and a tongue that is connected to your body that you can taste food with. But you don't understand that these things are a gift and your body's a gift until you got to do without one of them. I can't tell you how many times I met people who had COVID or talked to people who had COVID. And one of the things that they always said was, man, I just wish I could get my taste back. But you don't know that it's a gift until you have to do without it. You don't know that your ears are a gift until you can't hear. You don't know that your, your hands and your touch is a gift until you can't feel something. And so God has given us a gift as a body. And so through this body, we don't also just uh, feel and taste and touch and, and, and see and hear. We also get to encounter God through our body. And so we as Christians are, are empowered and embodied with the spirit of God. So we don't just have a body. We've been embodied by God. He lives on the inside us. We have the spirit of God living on the inside of us in a body. And if that's not enough to convince you that your body is a gift, when God wanted to demonstrate his love for us, God didn't remain a spirit, but God came in a human body and demonstrated his love for us on a cross. So without a body, there is no cross and there is no resurrection. Our body is a gift from God. And so our bodies is also a way that we embrace our sexuality. And the story that most of us, the, 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 the completeness of the story that most of us have heard about sex was this. Don't get anybody pregnant. You better not bring no baby home. Why? Maybe that's the most of a story that we've heard. Or, or, or we've, we've heard that sex is bad. So stay away from it. And you were told that just because they didn't want you to go out there and do something. So they told you that sex was horrible. 
right? And so, so there is a better story that God has for us. But the problem is Satan knew that we would be ashamed about sex. And so he packaged it up real nice, pretended that he created it, invented it, made it real, look real pretty on the outset, sold it to us. We bought into it hook, line, and sinker. And we can't tell the stories of how many lives that it has damaged and ruined for years because we brought the devil's story about what sexuality was but I want to tell you today that there is a better story that we can recover God's original intent for sex and our sexuality and it doesn't have to be repressive it doesn't have to be sad it doesn't have to be abusive but it can be good like God intended for it to be but we got to know what the story is first and so our sexuality actually points to something greater it it points to the love relationship that God has initiated with his people but when we don't steward in a way that God commands us and we embrace the cultural story that says that that what I do with my sexuality is my prerogative and, and I should just do whatever makes me happy or however I feel we often forget the long-term and even short-term effects that have destroyed and ruined untold lives we forget about that When we embrace their story, it it does damage not only to our witness, but it affects our personal lives when we buy into the culture story about sexuality. And this is what is happening in the church at Corinth. Sexual immorality was so pervasive in the culture to the point that it was prevalent in the church. It, it, was, it was real and prevalent in the church. And I told you last week about the temple goddess, the temple goddess of Aphrodite, who, who this, had this temple that set up on a hill in Corinth. So when you came outside or you went to work or you went to the show or you went to the park, you would see sitting up on a hill this temple of the goddess Aphrodite, the goddess of love. And this temple housed many prostitutes. Last week we talked about the sexual immorality that was happening in the church that was dealing with incest. A man was sleeping with his father's wife he was sleeping with his stepmom in the church and the problem wasn't just that he was sleeping with his stepmom it was the fact that the church was silent about it and didn't say anything and so today Paul now moves further along and also addresses not just the issue of incest but he addresses the issue of prostitution because some members in the church were going and buying buying sex through the prostitutes And so this is really happening in the church with people who had uh, confessed that they loved Jesus and that they that they had been embodied with the spirit of God, that that they had gave their lives to Jesus. And so I want to tell you this about prostitution. When we think about today, you think, oh, my God, I would never I would never I would never pay for sex. I would never be caught dead. On, on one of these seedy streets, I would say the street in Orlando would have some initials, but I'm not going to say the street's name. But it starts with the letter O. <laughs> I wouldn't be caught dead out there soliciting. I wouldn't be caught dead. I, I wouldn't be. Do- but here's what you need to understand about their culture. Prostitution was culturally acceptable and normal. A, a, a man may have had a wife, but his wife was there to bear children. But his sexual fulfillment was to be found elsewhere. Women were seen as a commodity. In these days, 
Women were seen as a commodity, something to be used, not something, not people to be upheld and to have dignity and honor and self-worth and all of those things. No, that, that wasn't the case. And so that's why the gospel was so radical, because gospel put dignity back, not just in uh, men, but it put dignity in all people, including women. It said that men and, and women have equal worth, equal dignity, and equal value. And so the gospel was radical because women were not seen in that way. And so it was not abnormal for somebody who had just got saved to still be dabbling in prostitution. And so we can sit here and turn up our nose, but it is no different when we consume virtually and pay for subscriptions and certain stuff to have our own instant gratification. There's no difference. There's no difference. And Paul is addressing this. He's addressing this. And so I say this with all decency and decorum because my intention today is not to say something sensational, something bombastic, or God forbid, go viral. I don't want to go viral <laughs> on a sermon about sex. I don't, I don't want that. But, but we are guilty of the same thing. Because maybe for us it's not physical, but it's virtual. But we dehumanize and take away the personhood of the person of the, on the other end. And we treat them like a commodity because we consume them. With no care for who that person is, what their name is what their story is, why they are doing that, whether they are under the influence. We don't know what we don't, if they're being sex trafficked. We don't know, but we just use it for our instant gratification and enjoyment. And so we are no different. But the gospel calls us to something far more radical. The, the gospel turns this upside down on his head. Remember what Jesus says? Jesus says, you've heard it. Do not commit adultery. But I tell you, everyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery in his heart. Jesus is going beyond just the action and getting to the heart of the matter. Jesus is saying it's not just enough to not do something physically, but Jesus is saying it's also horrible to do something even if it's with your eyes and with your mind. He calls us to something radical. And Jesus is not saying what he said to be prudish. He's doing it to protect the person and preserve God's intent for that person's sexuality. Jesus is, is, is doing something to preserve, to preserve us. Je, can, can you imagine the positive effects that this would have on society and our culture if we just obeyed this one command that Jesus says that you should not look at a person lustfully because if you do you've already committed adultery in your heart, if we just follow this one command, do you know that there would be no more sex trafficking? Do you know that there will be no more porn? Do you know that there will be no more sexual abuse? Do you know that there will be no more adultery if we just follow this one command? And so when the Bible speaks about sexuality, it's not being prudish. It's actually preserving something. It is protecting people. It is the most protective thing that we could ever do in, in, in regards to our sexuality. But we don't see it that way because we've brought Satan's story. Man, it's quiet in here. But more than that, we could also just reorient our hearts and minds around God's intention and, and instead tell God's story. And that story is this. I got two things I want to let you know this morning. 
that even if you do struggle, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Here's what I want you to know, two things. Number one, Christians have been set free in Christ. And guess what? Your, your freedom ain't based on your feelings. Let me say that again because your, your flesh want to deny that. Your freedom is not based on what you feel. It's a spiritual reality. Number one, Christians have been set free in Christ. And number two, Christ has set us free from sin but for service to God. Number two, Christ has set us free from sin for service to God. He freed us from sin for service to God. And so our freedom isn't just freedom to be free, but our freedom is freedom to serve God with our freedom. Y'all follow that? Does that make sense? So this is reality. This reality was hard for them to grasp and hard for them to come by. And here's the problem. Some of them still, even though they claim to be Christians, they were persistent in this lifestyle. It was who they were. It characterized their lives. They were claiming the name of Christ but had a whole way of life, a whole lifestyle that was contrary to the gospel. And and what it was doing was calling their profession of faith into question. Do you really believe the gospel if you actually live this way? I'm not talking about a momentary struggle. I'm not talking about something that somebody made a mistake and did and then they immediately regretted and they repented and tried to walk in the right direction. No, I'm talking about this is who I am and this is what I do who gonna check me it it wasn't just a mistake it wasn't just you know what oh my god in a moment of weakness I fell victim to temptation no this is who I am this is what I do and nobody better not say anything to me I'm gonna have this and Jesus this was the problem that they were using their freedom in Christ as a reason to do whatever they felt. They were engaging in all kinds of sexual immorality. And so I want to give you a definition of sexual immorality. The word sexual immorality or the phrase sexual immorality is where it, it comes from a Greek word, porneia. Sexual immorality, when you see that in the Bible, when you see that phrase in the Bible, it comes from a Greek word, Porneia, and you don't have to think hard about what English word we get that from. And here, here's what it means. The most, it's the most general term for all kinds of sexual sin. And here's some of that I included. Sex outside of and before marriage, lust, adultery, prostitution, pornography, and same-sex sexual behavior. Let me run down the list one more time. Uh, th- this refers to all sex outside of And before marriage, lust, adultery, prostitution, pornography, and same-sex sexual behavior. And so when Paul says something like food is for the stomach and stomach is for food, Paul is kind of quoting this cultural phrase. And what people thought was if the body is for food, then food is for the body, and we should have as much of it as we want. And so they would also translate that to mean that if sex is for the body and the body is for sex, we should have as much as we want to, and there should be no limits and no boundaries to our sexual activity. We should get it how we can get it and do whatever it takes to fulfill ourselves. And Paul is saying, no, you've been given your sexuality for a reason. But isn't that just like the culture to see our sexuality as a right and not a responsibility. That's the problem with the culture. They see sexuality as a right and not as a responsibility. 
But I'm here to tell you today, it, it is a responsibility. Because we've been given our sexuality by God. You are a sexual, let me set you free in church. You are a sexual being. It's okay to desire sex. Ooh, you can't say that in church. There's more to God's story than you better not bring a baby home. God has a plan for our sexuality. God has a plan for our sexuality. God's plan for our sexuality is to point people to his love relationship with, for, for, for his people, for his church. It points to God's love relationship to his people. God has a plan A for our sexuality. But when we don't follow God's plan A, we result to things like plan Some people still here doing the ABCs. What comes A? <laughs> How we steward our sexuality has eternal implication because it testifies to the authenticity of our faith or the lack thereof. It matters. And here's Paul's stark warning to Christians who continue to live in this way. Notice I'm, I'm not talking about people who have a struggle because you may, the Bible, David says, I was born and shaped in iniquity. Some people are born with a proclivity. To, some people are born with a proclivity to just lie for no reason at all. You ever met somebody that just can't help it? They just, just tell a lie. Hey, I bought a car. What kind of car you bought? I bought a Lamborghini. Really? And they pull up and they, they got a, a Toyota. And it's like, you said you, but yes, you bought a car, but you said you bought a Lamborghini. But they, could, they can't even help it. Some people just love to take stuff that don't belong to them. Wait, man, that look like my shirt. You... Oh, yeah, I, I figured you didn't mind. No, you didn't ask me. You know what that's called? It's called stealing. Some people just take stuff from work. There's a reason why you can't stop taking those pens and staplers and pencils from, and notepads. Some of y'all got more legal paper in your house than a lawyer. Not because you like legal paper. You just can't help taking stuff that's there for the taking. A proclivity. But if people have a proclivity to lie, people have a proclivity to steal, then some people have a proclivity to But God made us sexual beings, so I'm not, I'm not robbing you, I'm not stealing that or robbing you of that. But I am telling you that God gave it to us for a purpose. But here's what he says to people who misuse it. Verses 9 through 10 says this, don't you know that the unrighteous will not inherit God's kingdom? And I love what he says, you want to you underline this, do not be deceived, don't fool yourself, don't think you're going to heaven. No sexually immoral people, idolaters, adulterers, or males who have sex with males. I want to pause real quick and say this, and I don't, I'm all decency and decorum. When it says males who have sex with males, in the original Greek language, it literally means males are having sex with males, those who engage actively and passively. Let you interpret those tongues how you want to. 
Some of y'all like, come on, tongues. I need an interpreter. Both active and passive participants in sexual activity. The same sex. No thieves. Greedy people. Drunkards. Verbally abusive for those of you who like to yell at people. You see how innocent you thought that was? You see how innocent you thought that was? We just be cursing people out? At least I ain't hit you. But the gospel tells a different story. You're not even supposed to be verbally abusive to a person. Or swindlers. We're here at God's people. So if we persist in the lifestyle of any of these vices and still say we bear the name of Christ and we believe that we have an insurance that we, we get to spend eternity with God, we deceive ourselves. But this deception, this deception convinces us to think that if we persist and never bear fruit, that we never bear the fruit of self-control, that if we never walk in godliness that, that, that if we get saved and bear the name of Jesus, but there's no change in our character, there's no change in our behavior, we seek no growth, that, that we still are believers and followers of Jesus, and it's all good in the hood because God's going to forgive me. We deceive ourselves. This deception is actually a denial of the good news that God's salvation did not just bring about forgiveness, but it also brought about freedom. And and that freedom is not just theoretical or theological. That freedom is real. It's tangible. God didn't just save us from our sins, that that he only forgave us, but God gave us real power to overcome and use our bodies to honor him. Paul says in verses 13, 14, the body is not for sexual immorality, but but for the Lord, and the Lord is for the body. And God raised up the Lord and will also raise up his Raised us up by his power. Here's what Paul means by this in verses 13 and 14. God did not intend for us to misuse our sexuality. He gave us our sexuality and he gave us bodies to use in a very specific way. Therefore, God cares about our bodies and our sexuality because it points to a far greater reality in the future. In the same way that God raised Jesus from the dead, bodily was raised from the dead, we so too will also at some point be raised from the grave bodily. We will have glorified bodies. So this body is not something that's going to be done away with. This body actually points to something greater in the future. So what we do with it now matters because one day God is going to raise these bodies back to life. So what we do with them matters now. Our sexuality ain't just about a feeling. It points to a greater reality. It points to something else. What we do with our bodies is not inconsequential. It matters to God if what we say happened to us actually happened that God saved us and transformed us and God's grace came and barreled down on us and overtook us, then God didn't just forgive us. God gave us supernatural power to overcome sin. When Paul says, should I connect the body with a prostitute? He says, what? Absolutely not, exclamation point. But that's not the first time that Paul says absolutely not. Paul also said this in another letter. We'll look at Romans chapter 6, verses 1 through 2. It's on the screen. Look at Romans chapter 6, verses 1 through 2. What should we say then? Should we continue in sin so that grace may multiply? Absolutely not. How can we who died to sin 
still live in it. Notice he didn't say struggle with it. He says live in it. Shall we still continue in sin so that grace may multiply, meaning that, ooh, the grace of God going to cover me no matter what I do. You know what Paul's saying is grace is not just to cover you. Grace is also to empower you. That's the missing component we have about the grace of God. We just think grace is sin management. No, grace is sin overcoming empowerment. Do you know that at the moment that you became a believer, that you were possessed with the Spirit of God? I talked about this a couple weeks ago. I said the Holy Spirit ain't something you catch. It's something you what? Something you possess. At the moment of salvation, we are possessed with the Holy Spirit. When I say possessed, I don't mean demon-possessed. When I say possessed, I mean we, we, are, we, we are stamped. We are sealed with the Holy Spirit. It is what guarantees that when Christ comes back, we will still be in the faith. The Holy Spirit is what keeps us from walking away from God. The Holy Spirit is what helps us to overcome sin. The Holy Spirit is what is working on the inside of us that makes us look radically different than we did five years ago. So, so we have the Spirit living on the inside of us. We have been made one with Christ. We've been united with him. Look at what Paul says in verses 15 through 16. Don't you know that your bodies are part of Christ's body? So, so should I take Christ's body and make it part of a prostitute? Absolutely not. Don't you know that anyone joined to a prostitute is one body with her? For Scripture says the two will become one flesh. But anyone joined to the Lord is one spirit with him. If you've been united with him who is holy, how can you unite your body with a prostitute? How can you unite your body with someone you're not married to? Here's what you need to know about sex. Here's what the culture doesn't tell you. But you may know this experientially. Can we not pretend that everybody here is a virgin? Is it okay? It's cool? Okay, okay y'all going to play me? All right. All right, we have nothing to talk about. <sighs> Thank you, man, I will. All the holy people came to church today. All the sinners stayed home. <laughs> Here's what... Here's what Satan doesn't tell you, but I want to tell you, because God does it on purpose. Sex bonds two people together. Sex creates an enduring bond between two people. It does. Sex creates a bond that's not easily broken. So when Paul says the two become one flesh, Paul ain't just making that up. Paul is actually quoting Genesis chapter 2. When God is bring forth the man and a woman, Adam and Eve, he says to them, this is why a man leaves his mother and his father and bonds with his wife, and the two become one flesh. You consummate a marriage through sex, and that sex is intended to bond the two participants, the husband and the wife. This, why, this, is, this, is, this is the beauty of what God does with sex. He does this, he creates this bond between the two people intentionally. 
Because he wants the, the husband and wife to be so close and so intimate with each other that this is the greatest commitment that you can make, that you give all of yourself. Nothing communicates you in the way that sex communicates you. It involves all of you, your mind, your body, your spirit, your soul, all of that is involved in sex. It's not just physical. And so when two people come together, it creates a bond. That's why when you get in a sexual relationship with, with a person, even if you didn't really like them like that before, now when you've been in sex with them, it's so hard to break up. And some of you are still in relationships with people. Not because you like them. You just can't break away from them and you don't know why. Because you've been bonded to that person. And that's the beauty of what God does. He puts a husband and a wife together and, and the two become one flesh. And so he creates this enduring bond through sex that is never meant to be broken. That's why it's so hard to break up. And some of you, although you are pretending to be a virgin today, You know the effects of it. You know how it's so hard to break away. You know how you, you just, you, you, you know what's right and you can't do it because your body is called, because you've been wedded to a person that you had no intention of marrying. This is God's good design for sex and when we put it in that context, oh, it makes sense. Because it has an intention, regardless of how temporary and complicated your relationship is, sex, neither person is free to walk away when sex is over. Christian theologian Lewis Smeads write this about this. There is more to sex than meets the eye or excites the genitals. There is no such thing as casual sex, no matter how casual people are about it. No one can take sex out at night and put it away until he wants to play with it again. Nobody can go to bed with someone and leave his soul parked outside. Mm. Let me remind you that there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So if, you are, if, you're, if your flesh is tempting to tell you you should be ashamed and walk out of here right now. Don't be. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Christ takes on all your shame and all your guilt. He bore that on the cross. The better story, though, is that sex is actually a sign of commitment and intimacy. Because it points to God's commitment and his intimacy towards us. That he loved us so much that he gave us everything. He held nothing back from us. God don't do one night stands. When God is in a relationship with us, it ain't just complicated. He's all in on us. And this points to God's love for his church. When two people enter into this type of covenant, it's a point to a sign of a greater reality. It points to something. It tells a story about God's love for us. But hooking up and shacking up is anything but that type of commitment. Mm. 
Sam Alberry, who's an author who wrote the book, Why Does God Care Who I Sleep With? By the way, I want to tell you something about Sam Alberry. Sam Alberry tells the story that he will never get married because he is same-sex attracted, but he is a Christian. So rather than violate his faith, he's resigned to not marry because of his same-sex attraction. That even though he has a feeling, he has not submitted to it. He submitted to his freedom in Christ. And here's what he says. To reduce sex to a means of getting pleasure is actually to hold back from someone what is meant to be a complete, permanent, and exclusive form of self-giving. We might think we're giving someone the gift of a sexual relationship, but if we're not giving our whole self to them fully, then our gift turns out to be a lot cheaper than when it first appeared. And here's here's what you don't realize is is when we do this, all we're doing is a cheap knockoff version of what God intended. None of us would come in here. Some of us would. None of us would really be proud if we came in here with a knockoff Louis or a knockoff Gucci. None of us wants to tell the story of how we went and got a a Uwe bag from 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 the Tropicana flea market in South Florida. None of us want to tell the story of how we went to... Tropicana El Preguero, the Tropicana flea market in Miami, and how we got a fake Louis and a fake Gucci bag. None of us would do that. All of us would be ashamed for people to know that we have a knockoff, but we walk around in constant knockoff relationships with no shame. You want the knockoff, and God said, I paid a high price for you. You are the work, the real thing. You are the genuine article. I want to give you the real, but you keep running to the flea market. Walk into a Louis store. Walk into a Gucci store. It's a whole experience that'll change your whole life. I didn't say buy none, just walk in there. Don't, don't go out there balling and can't, just, can't pay your rent. I don't, don't do that. But when you're in the real thing, you can feel the authenticity of it. It has a different look, a different smell, a different feel, a different experience. Here's the real damage. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the person who is sexually immoral sins against his own body. There is nothing else that involves all of us the way that sex does. When we have sex, we are all in with the person. It affects the whole person. And so that is why there is physical, emotional, and psychological effects that take place in a sexual relationship. It affects all of us. And I don't mean to make you uncomfortable today. But I want you to have a proper understanding because some of us have never been told God's story about sex. But what better way to get the real story than the inventor of a thing? Think about the effects that it has has on us when we don't do things God's way. The unwanted pregnancies, abortions, and if you've had one, there's no condemnation. For you, this is not to shame you. This is not, I'm not, this is, this is not what we're doing here. But think about it. Think about the, the addiction. 
how hard it is to break away when we don't do things God's way. And some of us, we experience these effects and it's been hard for us because no one ever told us the real story. That's not your fault. Some of us grew up in church and never heard God's design for sex. And that's a tragedy. That's horrible. That's terrible. We just had to figure it out. Or maybe you went to school and they just handed you a box of condoms. Figure it out. God has a better story. But not only does it have physical effects, it violates our relationship with Jesus. It creates this dichotomy and you feel alienated and guilty. And you know why as a believer you feel guilty? You know why you feel that, that just like, ugh. Because inside of you, the Holy Spirit is trying to hold intention, his presence on the inside of you, and what you've connected him to. That's why you feel this way. When somebody's out in the world, they do it and they don't feel nothing. It is what it is. But when, you as a, when it happens to you as a Christian, no matter whether it's physical or virtual, there, it, do, it does something to you. But that is a sign to you that, that, that there's a Holy Spirit that is living on the inside of you, that this is not God's intent. This is not God's design for you. There is a better way for you. There is a better way. God lives on the inside of you. And, and here's the good news, that even if this is your story, even if you have struggled, even if you are now struggling, there is no condemnation. I can't say that enough, but I got good news for you. There is hope because what does he say in verse 11? He says in and such were some of you. You used to be like this, but Christ Jesus has set you free. And so what he's saying is there is possibility for you for victory in Christ Jesus. But you got to walk into victory. Some of you are so deep in it, you don't know which way is up. But I'm here to tell you today that God can deliver you and free you. But you were washed you, you were sanctified. You were justified, meaning that God has cleansed you up inside and out. He has made you righteous, that when God sees you, he doesn't see your sin, your guilt. He has given you Christ's righteousness. You are righteous in Christ. Now just live up to your righteousness. You've been made right in Christ, and this is the work of God in our lives. God didn't just do some sort of update on us or, or throw a new filter on us when he saved us. He made us brand new. We are a new creature in Christ, created for good works in him. The power of God has transformed us. But if you continue to live in sin and make it your lifestyle, you deny the power of God. What you really communicate is the gospel ain't that powerful. It's not really good news. But God is powerful. And that's why it's possible. God has the power to free us, and he has. Paul says, everything is permissible for me, but I will not be mastered by anything. I want to read Romans, Romans 6, 12 through 14 for you. Romans 6, 12 through 14 says this. Do not let sin control you, control the way you live. 
Do not give in to sinful desires. Do not let any part of your body become an instrument or instrument of evil to serve sin. Instead, give yourselves completely to God for you were dead, but now you have a new life. So use your whole body as an instrument to do what is right for the glory of God. Sin is no longer your master for you no longer live under the requirements of the law. Instead, you live under the freedom of God's grace, the grace of God is not just a get out of hell free card it's not just that it is also God's empowerment that we have a life of victory that he has given to us his grace has brought about forgiveness and freedom at the same time for freedom Christ has set us free but freedom is freedom not just from something but it's freedom for something I'm going to read something to you and I'm almost done Galatians 2 20 through 21 says this My old self has been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. So I live in this earthly body by trusting in the Son of God who loved me, gave himself for me. I do not treat the grace of God as meaningless. For if keeping the law could make us right with God, then there was no need for Christ to die. Paul says it's, not, it's no longer I who live, but God who lives or Christ who lives in me. So here's what I want to let you know. There's a lifestyle and there's a struggle. The lifestyle says, this is who I am. This is what I do. I resign to this. This is who I'm going to be. You don't know my story. You don't know my past. You don't know what I'm dealing with. You don't know my relationship. I, I'm, this is my thing. This is, this is my story. And, and you and God and nobody else can tell me what to do because I'm grown. That's lifestyle. You won't inherit the kingdom of God here. But then there's a person who, although they may deal with temptation and they may struggle with it, this is the person who is doing their best to live in the spirit of God, in, in God's spirit and God's power. They have not resigned that this will be their life. They're not saying, no, no, I'm just, we're just going to do this thing. And if we get married, we get married. But if we don't, we don't. We're just going to do this thing because how we feel is more important than what God intended. But the person who is struggling, struggling don't mean, oops, I'm struggling with this. So, oops, I'm struggling with this. Oops. Struggling means I am striving. And by the power of God, I am experiencing victory day by day, little by little. I I can look back last month, last week, last year. I can look back and see how God has grown me, how I am further gradually getting better, how I'm looking more like Christ. I can see evidences of God's grace in my life. Yes, I am struggling. Yes, I still have temptations, but these temptations don't master me. God is my master. I'm no longer using my body to serve Satan's kingdom. I'm using my body to serve God's kingdom. So even though I may slip up at times, I'm not slipping up on purpose and saying, oops, got to forgive me. No, I am really trying to lean on the grace of God and live the life that God has called me to live. I'm not going to deny the power of the resurrection. I'm not going to deny what God has done for me in Christ Jesus. If the gospel is true, that means the gospel is good news. And the good news is that in Christ Jesus, I have victory over this sin. I have victory over it. And some of you used to be like this, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus. And the last thing Paul tells him to do, he gets real practical. He says, flee sexual immorality. Let me, let me translate flee for, for you in the Greek. It means run. 
And when I say run, I don't mean run, jog. I mean Forrest Gump run. I mean run. Flee sexual immorality. He says flee. This is not the first time he uses this. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 22, here's what Paul tells his young son in the faith. 2 Timothy 2, 22. He says Flee youthful passions, but I don't you to see some. He's not telling him, just run, just run. Don't, don't have a direction, just run somewhere. Just, just, just start, take off running, run from, run from sin. No, he says, flee your youthful passions, but pursue, pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace. What he's saying is stop running after that and start pursuing something else. Start pursuing these things. Pursue righteousness, pursue faith, pursue love, pursue faith, pursue faith, pursue things that will please God. Verse 20, and I'm done. Here's what he says. For you were bought with a price, so glorify God with your body. We are not our own. We belong to Christ. God paid a high price for us. Sometimes I think that we see us how Satan sees us, as expendable. But if God didn't think highly of you, he wouldn't have sent his son to die for you. When it came to you, God didn't try to get a discount. He didn't wait for you to go on sale. You know why? Because real quality, authentic things, luxury, it don't go on sale. You sit and wait for Louis Vuitton to go on sale. You're going to be waiting till Jesus comes back. And they don't care who comes in and buys. If you can't afford it, you can't afford it. That needs to be some of y'all's mantra. The price is marriage. And that ain't just for women, that's for men too. People oftentimes think you're just addressing men. No, we live in the new times. Men ain't the only ones out here on the prowl, player. <laughs> yep. 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 But both married and single people Bring glory to God. We do sexuality God's way. And I'll leave you this last quote. I'm done. I'm done for real. For real this time I'm done. <laughs> Author Glenn Harrison in a book, in the book where we get this sermon subtitled from A Better Story, God, Sex, and Human Flourishing says this. Both single and married people who abstain from sex outside of marriage, outside of the marriage bond, point to the same thing. They both deploy their sexuality in ways that serve as a sign of the kingdom and the faithful character of God's passion. In refusing to have sex outside of marriage, the single person witnesses to the unbreakable link between passion and faithfulness. In refusing to commit adultery, the marriage person bears witness to the same truth. So this sexual integrity, this sexual honoring with our body, honoring of God with our bodies is not just for single people. It's for married people too. And we both 
have a mission and an assignment from God, which is to point to him and his faithful, passionate, deep love for us in the way we manage our sexuality. Let us pray. We hope you enjoyed today's message. If it was a blessing to you, please consider visiting our website, outpouringorlando.com, to connect with us and to also give financial support. If you are ever in the Orlando area, we would love to serve and worship with you. Have a wonderful week.